What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 72nd draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. 72nd, Matt. We are we are hitting home. We are we we keep doing it every week. We're just keep we're getting just older and along. older. Yeah. Uh, we just hit our 100th episode of the Untitled Movie Reviews. Congrats, Eric. Um, <clears throat> and me, I guess. But uh, it was for The Old Guard on Netflix. <laughs> so <clears throat> you guys can planned. check that out now. Uh, I have a belly full of Popeyes right now. Um, I, I have the uh, meat sweats and I kind of want to take a nap. Uh, but we've had a big recording day. We just put up new reviews for, like I mentioned, our hundredth episode, uh, for the old guard. We also have a review up for the Thomas Hanks movie, uh, Greyhound, as well as oh, a review for Paul- Chet Hanks. <clears throat> Chet is Hanks, Chet Hanks is it? Yeah. Cool. Oh, he is. Uh, <clears throat> and, um, and a uh, review for Palm Springs, which is uh, if for our Canadian listeners, I'm sorry, uh, you guys can listen to our review. You cannot watch the movie yet because it is only available on Hulu in the United States of America. Uh, we won't let you know of ways to uh, stream that if you want, but you can figure that out on your own. Uh, Eric, how you doing? Well, Matt, it's a Friday afternoon. As you said, you've got a stomach full of Popeyes. You're ready to take a nap. I'm feeling the same. I'm ready to take a little snooze and, you know, dream of future movies and future reviews <laughs> and release date delays and and uh, i love it. what an episode you guys have uh for you in store we both just said we're tired and we want a nap so whatever <laughs> whatever that will bring uh we'll see but you guys are listening to the untitled movie podcast where every week or usually every week sometimes bi-weekly depending it's all weird during covid uh we put out an episode whenever there's stuff for us to talk about when we have time to do one uh um, every week we talk about the entertainment industry, news, trailers, what you guys can be watching at home, um, you know, updates on what reviews we have out. Um, as we already mentioned, if you like this, we have another podcast called The Untitled Movie Reviews, where we put all of our uh, quote unquote more professional reviews uh, that are um, shorter than, you know, the two hours that you usually get out of this podcast, who knows how long between an hour and two hours of this podcast, each review is usually under, you know, 30 minutes, usually between 15 and 20, uh, where Eric and I discuss a new release film. So we'd love it for you guys to go over there and check that out as well. Um, Eric, what is new? What's new in your life, man? I feel like, uh, I went to my parents last week, which was the first time I've left, you know, Parkdale in Toronto over the last, uh, four months. Um, for those of you that are, you know, you be, could be anywhere in the world right now, but in Ontario here in Canada, <clears throat> they started to lift some of the restrictions due to COVID, uh, probably still too early, but, um, you know, I, I make up my own rules and try to be a little bit more strict than, uh, what the government is even telling us, but they opened it up and said that we can open up our social circles to, you know, 10 people, as long as you're sticking within those same 10 people. Uh, that being said, I went down to the schwa to, um, finally see my mother and my father and my sister for the first time in four months. So that was quite nice. I went and, uh, hung out there and, you know, 
kind of just decompressed, uh, went offline completely away from work, celebrated, you know, Canada day down there, hung out in their backyard by their pool, um, played a lot of Disney villainous and phase 10 and monopoly deal had a lot of great food that my parents barbecued. Uh, it was super, super nice. Didn't really watch all that much, but we'll get into that in a bit, but, uh, I had a relaxing week. How about you, buddy? Yeah, about the same. I mean, uh, I've been delivering food to my grandparents' place, uh, you know, driving around here and there, which I kind of find to be soothing, hanging out in parking lots. I've picked up Pokemon Go again uh, to Uh, get some exercise in, you know, catching some great, great Pokemon, uh, you know, with CP levels of 69. Nice. What could go wrong? Yeah. you know, all the good stuff, Matt, all the good stuff, watching react videos to people eating spicy food. It's just, it's just a great time. Great time to be alive. Living the dream, buddy. Um, yeah, Pokemon go. I mean, I put on the quarantine 10, I think, um, which is not super great, (laughs) but, um, it is what it is. I haven't been getting too much. I haven't been getting as much exercise as I'd like. Cause like the excuse at the beginning of this whole thing was like, you know, it's stressful. It's my anxiety's ramped up because of everything going on. And then you're like, well, you gyms aren't open now. It's just like too hot out. And like, I, I used to walk to and from work, Every day, which really wasn't that much, but it's 15, 10, 15 minutes each way. So that's at least like, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of sort of uh, low exercise every day. And now I'm not getting that at all. And um, we were eating pretty well, like we're eating at home, but I I still feel like the last couple of weeks I've just been diving more and more into shitty food. So that mixed with not exercising at all, I'm like, Oh, God, I think I put on like 10 pounds, which whatever, I don't really care. But like, um, <clears throat> I still I'm like, fuck, I need to I, I like that you've picked up Pokemon Go again, because I remember that summer being fascinating that when everyone was playing Pokemon Go, where me and you who never go outside, really, especially when we're hanging out together. Um, we actually were like, yo, let's go walk to the waterfront and play Pokemon Go and stuff like that. I remember oh, those uh, sunburns. Yeah, the only time where we got out of, you know, our cold, dark cinema or living rooms and and went out for a walk together and played Pokemon Go. So that's that's pretty dope, man. I'm glad that you're doing that. I need an excuse to, you know, once a day at least get up and, you know, walk around a bit because I've I'm still trying to avoid going out as much as possible. Right. Yeah. And I got to also say, like, I I dropped off some. um banana muffins uh the other day to my grandparents in the in the evening as they were watching uh ncis um and as i was waiting in the lobby uh socially distancing from from other people there was only two other people there and they were uh, a young couple they probably were maybe 18 19 uh very young and they weren't wearing masks and i was thinking to myself you guys should be wearing masks and here I am wearing a mask and uh, latex gloves because I'm trying to be extra precautious and and what have you. They look at me and they're like, Oh man, I should have worn a mask. I'm like, you're fucking right. You should have in in my head. And I'm just, I'm just thinking to myself, like, you know, you, you mentioned it there, there, there are restrictions being lifted. People are, you know, heading out 
onto patios. patios they're, they're going yeah. places that are that are opening with certain precautions. But please be careful and don't just rush out to do something for the sake of doing it. You know, if you want to go out and get some fresh air and go to a park or something like that, you know, take the precautions and make sure that you know the times in which people are going and maybe try to go there earlier or later, try to beat the crowds if you can. This is something that's really important to do. And and like you, you know, like the government has said like, oh, you can do this and that. I'm still very weary of that. And I think I will be until there is a vaccine, which probably won't be at least until next year or the year after. Um, But I'm trying to at least get out a little bit more in the mornings or in the late afternoons, or again, like once a week, I'll go and get a coffee from, from a Starbucks drive through. And that's, you know, yeah, no, I feel you. And I'm, I'm in the same boat. I know that like, eventually we have to kind of, um, you know, restart and get back to doing things normally. And we're doing okay here in Ontario. You mean we're, we're hovering around the, you know, the hundred, hundred cases a day kind of thing, which isn't so bad. Um, what's baffling is like in the U S and I know we have the same conversation each episode. So it's kind of like the, you know, the COVID update at the beginning, but I'm with you. Like I have no interest in sitting on a patio, I do still wear a mask everywhere I go, both inside and out. Because uh, in Toronto, it's a little different. Like at, in Oshawa and Whippy, I could see like if you're going for a walk around your neighborhood or um, something like that, where it's you can stay away from people easily, I think, in the suburbs where, you know, the, there's not enough people where if you see someone coming, you can't cross the road or go into the street or something like that, where I live on Queen Street West in in Toronto, which is constantly busy. So I try to wear a mask, you know, every time I even leave my home. And I've ordered like it's not that hard. I've 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 ordered masks from three or four different places to try and find the one that I like the most. Nevis and I have a you know a bag full of them now because we use the reusable ones. A lot of them you can put filters in, so we buy those as well. Um, and. I wash them after each use and stuff like that. And it's a pain in the ass, but I mean, it's, I think it is like, it, you're not only doing it for yourself. It's like a sign of respect to, you know, uh, it's a common like said, courtesy, courtesy to anyone, not, not just the people who are more vulnerable, like Eric, your grandparents or, or my grandpa or, or whoever, someone who's immune compromised, but just everyone in general. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm trying to. I have no interest in going to a patio, or I mean, Cineplex started open up, uh, opening up theaters. I know that's mostly in, uh, you know, uh, in the Western the provinces Canada, and stuff yeah. like that, and in Western Canada, that uh, their cases are much lower than they are even here. So I don't know, man. Like it's, uh, I know we have to kind of. You can't just be afraid to go out but i also think that we need to just still be very cautious about all of this stuff because i think the u.s like that like disney world opening while florida has the most cases that it's ever had just doesn't make any sense to me and it just feels like they've totally given up and um which is baffling and um and just seeing what's going on over there is like upsetting and fucking strange and just uh uh, it, it's wild, but I don't know if anyone's listening. I know everyone who's listening to this probably has similar, you know, 
views as us. So they're probably doing all the right things, but I don't know, man. Like, yeah, it was, it was just weird for me even going outside. Cause again, I've been as far West as Roncesvalles, uh, in, in, in Toronto and as far East as Ossington maybe in this four months. So I've really stayed within that, like West Queen West and Parkdale kind of area. And we haven't really gone further than that. Nevis and I have walked to the waterfront, like Ontario place and stuff like that a few times. But, um, so going to Oshawa was a little weird. Um, but you know, and then you come home and then I, my anxiety gets up and I know I was safe and everything like that. But like every little thing I'm like, Oh my God, is this a, is this just a headache or do I have COVID or like, uh, is this, <clears throat> I keep clearing my throat. It's cause I ate right before this, but, um, Oh yeah. I don't know. Yeah, so it's, um, it's still so very strange. And I just like, you see people on patios with no masks or people going to parties or, or, or whatever. And it's just, uh, I don't know, man, but I know we have to get back to it. I just don't know the right way. And I still think it's a little too early on some of this stuff. So, yeah. And people are impatient in general. And it's like, you're, you're not taking into consideration that this is something that is unprecedented and nobody has ever really dealt with before. And you can't just say, oh, after three or four months that, oh, that's good enough. We tried our best. Not, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, humanity can go down the toilet. Um, which I mean, th- that would benefit the animals. But other than that, I mean, if you know, we want to keep going as a human race and not endanger our own species, it's probably best to actually, you know, exercise caution a little bit more and you know follow the guidelines that the CDC and who are providing and things like that, and 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 be up to date as possible. But just try the most. <clears throat> simple things which is wearing a mask wearing gloves if possible if you if you feel that's an added incentive i I think that works and 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 i feel more comfortable sometimes wearing gloves to certain places hand sanitizers washing your hands you know if you if you feel like you know you want to take more than one shower a day that's fine like just you know just keep the proper cleanliness and and safety precautions that are needed to to keep going and 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 again don't feel like you have to go outside just for the sake of being you know in a regular routine again it's it's okay to still want to be a little bit more cautious and homebound for for the time being cuz you know we're still in this yeah, and I think that's the biggest frustration is seeing people who seem to just, you know, be enjoying their summers as per usual. And I, I'm not saying you can't go out and do things. If you stick by the guidelines, like Eric said, like if they say keep 10 people in your social circle, do that. Don't just be think just don't think I don't know. I don't need to lecture people, but you see people don't on go to the beach and-, and 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 see like there's thousands and thousands of ple- people all cluttered and be like, yeah, this is fine. And if I get COVID, that won't affect me whatsoever. Well, it might not, you know, it might not be life threatening to you, but it could affect somebody that's in your, you know, but you never your know. circle. It could. I've heard many, many stories, but who knows, man? Let's uh, let's try to get away from that and and get into uh, our normal routine. But uh, Eric, what have you been watching over the last, you know, week or so? Well, Matt, uh, last time we recorded, I talked a little bit about. 
the Wes Craven executive produced masterpiece Wishmaster. So I had to follow that up with Wishmaster 2 because I bought the uh, overpriced Vestron video Blu-ray with four Wishmaster movies. Uh, I had seen the first two Andrew Devoff stars again as the titular Wishmaster slash Jin. Uh, this time Wishmaster goes to prison and reaps the souls of hundreds of uh, ex-cons and convicts and prisoners in general. Um, all of which are the same thing. I was just, you know, adding different versions. Uh, this movie is ridiculous and it has some fun moments. And I actually think Andrew Devoff is kind of enjoyable, but with Wishmaster and Wishmaster 2, the problem that I have is that it doesn't really have its own identity. Like, it feels like it's borrowing mostly from A Nightmare on Elm Street, obviously, with the Wes Craven connection and Robert England being in the first film. And also Hellraiser. And it just never really kind of becomes its own thing other than taking the mythology of what a djinn is. Um yeah, and that's and that's about it. But I I, I kind of had fun watching it, even though it's not that good. It just it was kind of like a nice, easy watch. And there's a whole sequence that takes place in Vegas because that's where you get a lot of souls from. You know, people wanting to wish for certain things. Um, you I you get some sure do, but <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, the, like that's the joke is that like whatever you wish for, your wish is so broadly interpreted by the gin that like you know you wish for a million dollars. And the way that you get the million dollars is that your mother signs an insurance form before getting on a flight and the plane explodes, you know, like that's the, the, the loophole or the way that, that, that wish works. Um, Andrew Devoff though, you probably best know him from um, lost. I think it's been a while since I've watched it, but um, was it season two or season three when his character was introduced? Uh, uh, the Russian character, uh, uh Mikala or Michaela. Oh uh yeah, Mikaya or something. Uh yeah. Mikhail or something. Uh Mikhail, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's that's basically Wishmaster 2. Classic, classic schlocky uh late nineties um horror film. God bless <laughs> you, man. God bless you. <laughs> As as consistent as I am watching, you know the MCU over and over again. You'll be very consistent in watching schlocky uh, horror movies from the eighties and nineties. It's a comfort food. It's like that's oh, like totally kind of like it. yeah, where I know it's not going to be good, and it is usually pretty bad. But there's something about watching those films that I kind of I'm not thinking like, oh, I'm above them or something like that. Like it's not a condescension or I'm not watching them for irony's sake. I just enjoy the genre. And there's something kind of like a, a warm feeling of remembering nostalgically of renting these movies when I was younger and and you yeah. know, and enjoying them then. And and oh, obviously some that. do hold up, but like other ones like Wishmaster one and two do not. Fair. Fair. Anything else? Oh, yeah, yeah. You just watched Wishmaster 2. (laughs) Just Wishmaster 2. I had to cancel all my plans. I had to really think about it afterwards. Uh, No, keeping on the uh, schlocky uh, B-movie train, I watched the sequel to 967 Evil, 967 Evil 2. (laughs) It's the worst worst name for a movie. (laughs) 
Well, the first one being directed by, and again, having an identity uh, crisis issue, the first one being directed by Robert England. So I talked about the first one uh, maybe two years ago when the Blu-ray came out. I had watched that before. Shitty, horrible, Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Elm Street knockoff that is about a horoscope uh, telephone line that if you call it, um, it reads your horoscope and tells you to do things. And if you do it, you gain this power, but also at the same time, you become possessed by the demon that's controlling it. And you start to sort of mulch, basically. Uh, The sequel uh, is directed by Jim uh, Warnikowski, who is known for making a lot of really bad B movies. Like he probably has one of the most prolific uh, careers as a B movie director who also did. He also did chopping mall, which I've talked about on the show before. Um, this is terrible. This is really, really bad. I had seen nine, six, seven uh, evil before, but I'd never seen the sequel and it's available to watch on Amazon prime. So I was just like, you know what? Let's throw caution to the wind. They bring back one of the characters from the first movie, and it's like, what? Why? What was the point? I don't understand why they brought this guy back. He doesn't need to be in this movie, other than to just have somebody from the first film return. Um, you can just use the concept and play with that. It's it's ridiculous. The best scene in the film, I guess, would be again. This is very much a Nightmare on Elm Street esque sequence. A girl watching, there's a slumber party slash sleepover where um, two friends are watching uh, It's a Wonderful Life and uh, Night of the Living Dead. And they keep going back and forth between the two because one wants to watch one and the other, the you know, the other. So halfway through, they're watching it. One goes to make popcorn. Uh, the other one gets sucked into It's a Wonderful Life. And it's actually... It, it, this is the one scene where it's kind of like, oh, they actually spent some money on the effects and budget and things like that, where It's a Wonderful Life turns into uh, Night of the Living Dead. And you're just kind of like, okay, I guess that this is like the main selling point of this movie. But other than that, it's it's uh, mm-hmm. it's a waste of time. I don't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but going from there, I did watch a couple really great movies for uh independence day uh i rewatched both brian de palma's blowout and uh martin scorsese's cape fear uh very stylized double bill uh with a lot of uh split diopters and um great performances both de niro and especially john travolta like i know a lot of people will say john travolta's best performance is is pulp fiction or saturday night fever this is his best performance. I, I think this is um, an amazing movie. I think it's one of Brian De Palma's best films. So the idea of having a character who's a, a, a sound technician, an audio guy who captures a murder as he's recording um, sounds for a movie and slowly starts to go insane is obviously very much a you know Hitchcock De Palma uh, trope as you're descending into madness. But the John Travolta in this movie has never come back. Like it's amazing how great he is in that film and watching it. You're like, I think somebody like in did like an invasion of the body snatchers type thing to Travolta because like it just, you're watching it. It's like, it looks like John Travolta. He sounds like John Travolta, but it's like this performance is as good as any, like of the great acting performances of that time. And, and even now, and you're like, what happened to that actor? 
Um, so yeah, I, w- I would highly recommend both of those films, especially if you're someone that's very much into the visual style and experimentation of sort of crafting interesting uh, <clears throat> sequences. And it's and even though there's a voyeuristic nature to both, it's weirdly De Palma's less. It's 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 not as creepy or seedy as some of his other stuff is and it's more suspenseful so blowout really really good uh i own it i own it on criterion and have never watched it for some reason matt you will love it it's it's also it's also one of tarantino's favorite films yeah i mean tarantino's a huge de palma fan but you Yeah. yeah you would love it you would really really like the movie uh quite a bit i think uh i watched adam agoyan's uh guest of honor with david thulis playing a uh food inspector for the city of hamilton uh there are moments in this movie where it feels like the great adam agoyan is kind of waking up from a long winter's nap and kind of trying to reclaim some of that credibility that he had when he was making movies like Exotica and The Sweet Hereafter and, you know, uh, The Adjuster and, and Felicia's Journey. But there are some ridiculous moments within it's kind of a flashback within flashback structure the idea that thulis's character his daughter is um sentenced to prison time for a scandalous uh unethical relationship with one of her students who's underage but that really doesn't happen It's, it's her atoning for something else but being arrested for this crime um it's very stagey and like the framing device of the the daughter um confessing to luke wilson not work and like luke wilson's character halfway through the movie gives us a piece of information that feels just so unearned like you know like Adam Agoyne likes to sort of hold certain things or sort of, you know, fragment them in a way that you'll find pieces of the narrative throughout and you have to kind of put it together. But there's like one piece of, of, of exposition that Luke Wilson has about halfway through the movie. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like this, this is the dumbest line to connect the end of this movie. Uh, It's, it's, it's fine for what it is. I wanted it to be good. It looks great. It has an interesting score. Thulis is actually really good, but it just comes up short. And I was kind of disappointed with that. Uh, And last, I guess kind of full circle, coming back to the schlocky horror films, uh, Scream Factory was nice enough to send me a uh, Blu-ray copy of 13 Ghosts, the William Castle remake with uh, the great thespian known as Matthew Lillard. if you have not seen that movie, it's a part of a dark castles um, series of films from the late nineties into the uh, early two thousands. So shout factory and scream factory are releasing a lot of them now on Blu-ray for the first time with uh, house on haunted Hill uh, ghost ship, the classic ghost ship. Oh God. Ghost uh, ship. <laughs> 13 ghosts, the only one that they haven't released. And I don't think anybody wants to touch the movie because it's, it's terrible is fear.com. Which is just oh my a nightmare. god, yeah! All of those movies just iconic for that, like iconic in a <clears throat> like. I just remember this poster for uh, Thirteen Ghosts in the in the in the DVD, you know, cover or at at Blockbuster and stuff like that. But yeah, I think the best one of those movies is the remake of uh, House of Wax. 
uh, directed yeah. by Jean Colette Sarah. Where, like, I mean, at the time when that movie was being released, like the publicity was all around Paris Hilton being in the movie and being killed. But if you watch that film, it's been a while since I've seen it. I would like to maybe revisit it this Halloween. I remember actually being pleasantly surprised with how solid it was as kind of like a B movie genre flick. And that's where a lot of people got that, that term, like the, the vulgar or or tourism kind of thing where it's like, okay, you have this B movie director kind of elevating the material for what it is, but not to the point where it thinks it's more intellectual than it needs to be. And that's also very condescending when it comes to filmmaking and, and genre filmmaking. But that's where like a lot of people do kind of feel that Jean Clet Sarah is in his wheelhouse. Yeah, for sure. I haven't seen it in ages. I probably haven't seen it since the year it came out, but uh, I'd be curious to revisit it too. Um, on my end, um, I watched, you know, more MCU movies with Nevis. So we got through Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther, uh, Infinity War, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And we got through half of Captain Marvel, um don't need to go too deep into this i mean you guys heard me over these 70 some episodes you've heard me talk non-stop about marvel stuff so uh but i can give you an update on nevis's end um we both love ragnarok and black panther um she put infinity war lower than i probably expected uh let me pull up nevis's list because i always like updating people so she has right now ragnarok is number one and black panther is number two so obviously um which I, I think I, I I'm pretty aligned with her on that. I have Black Panther a little bit further down, but I think Black Panther holds up incredibly, and so does Ragnarok. Uh, then she has Homecoming, Civil War, Volume Two. She has Age of Ultron still at number six, above Infinity War, which blew my mind. <laughs> um, uh, so, and then I uh, I've been re-ranking too. So I'm, I'm curious to see um, <clears throat> how it compares to my last watch. What I've noticed on this one is um, Ant Man and the Wasp still feels completely pointless and um, doesn't really do anything to add to anything other than you know the quantum realm and stuff like that. But uh, the movie's fine. Uh, what I really noticed, which is a shame, and I and I I hate to be you know in this camp now, but I, I I'm only halfway through Captain Marvel, but it's the hardest one to get through so far. Where I'm like, I just don't know if this movie really works, and like the first half especially. And I I I do remember liking the second half of the movie uh, more than the first half, but. That being said, uh, the first half, I'm like, oh man, like this movie does not really hold up at all. And I would put it in that, you know, bottom tier Marvel territory with uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like the string, I think after Infinity War and that gap between Endgame, uh, those two movies had a hard time with Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel just being, you know, in that gap before Endgame. Um, and then we've talked about the origin story over and over again and how we're kind of beyond that in, in the MCU. So when you get another movie that's, a you know, your typical origin story like Captain Marvel, like I think this is something that we talked about in our review. But like I just feel like Brie Larson is a little, you know, still feeling out the role a little bit. So I'm curious to see what she does, you know, in Captain Marvel 2 and 3 because I just feel like it's a little wooden at times. I just find it not super interesting. Um, 
on a rewatch and the action and the opening uh, exposition um, all feels super, super clunky. And I want the nineties setting to be cooler than it is. Like, I feel like it's just kind of there and, uh, and not saying that you have to throw in a ton of nineties songs or have it blatantly keep reminding you that it takes place in the nineties. But, um, I don't know. I'm very mixed on uh, Captain Marvel this watch where I would put it in the, you know, Doctor Strange. I feel like I'm in a similar spot where I'm like, these movies are okay. They're good, serviceable. But like these origin stories from phase three, I think, are some of the weaker ones. And um, and then obviously still better than Thor, the Dark World and Incredible Hulk. Um, But it is fighting with the first Thor movie for me of that lower tier right above those three that i think are legitimately actually or those two dark world and incredible hulk i think are the actual movies that are under like a pass for the marvel like even the worst marvel movies you can go okay that was kind of fun or there's some stuff in there that's okay even if it's a bit repetitive or whatever um but thor the dark world and incredible hulk i think are legitimately not great movies and this would be slightly above that fighting with the first Thor movie for me for like, but I think the first Thor movie does the better fish out of water kind of thing when he's on earth and stuff like that. Even if it doesn't completely work. Um, Brie Larson, just for some reason, like I like her and I think she'll be great as Captain Marvel. I just on rewatch, I haven't, I haven't really been enjoying that. So um, that's my hot MCU take on the re on a rewatch. Um, the other thing I do want to talk about, because Eric, I know you watched this as well. Um, Harley Quinn season two, we both finished it. Uh, I know we've kind of talked about it here and there on the show. Um, I, I, I got you to watch it. Now you're all caught up too. So you've watched both seasons. I have finished both seasons as well. And I just want to like, if you guys aren't watching Harley Quinn, um, it's on uh, Adult Swim in Canada, and it's on DC Universe or whatever that streaming service is in the US. Um, it is fucking awesome. It's great, and like I, I, we were talking about this off air before before we started recording, and it's just it has it's so much better than it has any right being, and like it's clever, funny. Um, it's actually like emotional at times and you care like i didn't think i would care about the characters or the actual storylines i thought it was going to be a mostly throwaway you know adult humor kind of show and and the and the do- show does a great job of being you know individual episodes with you know your classic blank of the week kids cartoon but doing it for adults and then adding in a lot of adult themes about relationships and and things that i just did not expect to see in a, you know, a Harley Quinn cartoon. Um, and the way that they involve a lot of the Batman universe with just, and the DC universe in general, and like how nerdy they get at times and the deep cuts that they throw in there, as well as like utilizing uh, the Justice League. And it, it involves way more of the DC universe than I expected. And this is kind of what I like from DC lately is that they're letting people just do whatever the fuck they want and get creative and weird with their properties. So you can have, you know, Batman and the justice league be in a show that just covers some really kind of adult stuff. Um, Eric, I know you want to talk about it, but like James Gordon is fantastic in this season. (laughs) So Christopher Maloney does the voice of uh, 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 Jim Gordon. 
in this and he kind of takes more of a central role in the second season and, and Batgirl plays a part of that and, and things like that. And his whole arc is fantastic. Um, and I just can't say enough good things about this show. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I have to give, uh, uh, Christopher Maloney a hand, if you will. Uh, I love the yeah. uh, Clayface hand relationship that he has and sort of where that goes in, in one episode. And his weird obsession with tanks is the other thing that's like <laughs> so ridiculous and over the top. But it's it's amazing because like I think he is probably one of the, the supporting MVPs of that season. But Every character has such an interesting story and and what I gravitate towards the most watching both seasons isn't the action which is there like it's it, there's a lot of of well um you know choreographed and 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 directed action within the animation but it's just watching these characters exist in the day-to-day life and seeing yeah. how they interact in in social settings but also just how they kind of adapt to life in general and and figuring things out like just like bane having this weird grudge in 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 the first season with a guy at like a jamba juice and like just things like that are, are the things that make me smile the most or make me laugh because i like how idiosyncratic the characters are but on top of that i just like seeing these superheroes and supervillains having to be put in real world scenarios and how they have to kind of you know thrive in them or 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 suffer in them and like even you know like one kind of off joke with um it's dr psycho right yeah where he you know his kind of story is that he was a uh once uh, renowned supervillain who dropped the C bomb and on nobody a on a talk show and and kind of that destroyed his career and like even like Dark Seed saying like oh I even I would say that. <laughs> like stuff like that is is the best and like how it has certain callbacks and I love the relationship between both Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy I think that is 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 interesting and deep and feels like they took the time to really build to the season two storyline with their sort of ongoing sexuality and sensuality with each other. And it's just a fascinating sort of two hander with them, but I love mostly all the characters in the supporting roles or even bit parts. Uh, again, I think, you know, Bane is, you know, tops for me when it comes to the supporting cast of players. And I even love what they did with Joker in this season. Um, yes. in season two. It's, it's, it's incredible. Uh, it's, it's an incredible character arc and a really interesting one. And, you know, like even Batman is, is, is amazing in this. And, and like that performance um, by Diedrich uh, Bader is, is so good. And I, I kind of hope that he would con- maybe continue to sort of maybe take the mantle from Kevin Conroy because he, he's, he has the perfect voice for it. I he mean, does. obviously a lot of people know him from the Drew Carey show as kind of a goofball, but yeah, he's, he's amazing. Yeah, and I mean, there is a whole Batman series with Diedrich Bader as Batman, with Batman Brave and the Bold. But I, I'm with you where I, I – I, Batman Brave and the Bold was always kind of um, – it had that you know uh, 60s Batman kind of jokey kind of tone to it, but also was very much a kid's cartoon. But I do think he has a great Batman voice, which is why I think they brought him back for this. But yeah, like you mentioned, it's just like the small bit 
character bits and like each villain that pops up or DC hero that pops up gets their moment and is memorable each time. Like whether it's the Superman and the sushi in the first season or, um, or, um, man, like Bat. man, Bat man is Bat, incredible yeah. as a defense lawyer. <laughs> um, Alfred Molina as Mr. Freeze, which is like, I think the best representation of what, Mr. Freeze's motivations are um like I felt like that episode actually ended up being you know like very powerful by the end of it where like and those were those moments where like the show is very funny and crass and violent and um and ridiculous at times but then there are these w- sweet like tender moments whether they're you know between uh Commissioner Gordon and his daughter or um uh between uh, pa- Pamela Isley, or not pa- uh, that Miss uh, um, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, or Mister Freeze and his wife, and like you, you start to see that throughout the series, and um, whether even um, uh, King Shark and his whole arc, and that like the Bachelor Party Bachelorette thing was funny, and it's like putting them in those um, modern, you know, everyday circumstances, but then throwing it that DC universe lens on it, I think is really interesting and really, really funny. Like you said, they're these mundane kind of everyday things that, you know, a regular Joe Schmo would go through in their lives. But these, these supernatural kind of crazy characters are also going through that stuff in their own way. Um, I want to give a shout out uh, to kite man as well, I think is great. And uh, that his whole storyline, like you brought up Harley Quinn and Ivy, but like the Ivy kite man storyline, I think is actually, really interesting as well and um a condiment king popping up again which is funny because that was an off joke in the lego batman movie and that comes back here and some of the voice cast is fantastic so you have uh, kaylee cuoco as harley quinn lake bell as poison ivy then you have tony hale as dr psycho like you mentioned um a lot of like seinfeld alums so there must be some sort of uh connection there i don't know what the connection is but you have jason alexander jb smooth uh you have wayne knight pops up as the penguin so it's great hearing his voice um and then you have people like Tom Hollander playing Alfred, Michael Ironside as Dark Seed, Giancarlo Esposito as Lex Luthor, great voice for Lex Luthor, um, Will Sasso as Maxi Zeus, which was a great, like, just uh, like cameo kind of thing. Jim Rash has a big role as the Riddler in this season. Um, Swole, and- Swole Riddler. Yeah, Swole Riddler. And then there's a whole bunch of like guest voices that pop up. The Frankie Muniz bit was hilarious uh of frankie muniz playing himself um as well um yeah i just i i fell in love with this series man and like nevis and i were watching it on a weekly basis and i think it ended in a perfect spot where i feel like they could end the series if it wasn't like but i have a feeling it will come back and they'll do a third season um or or do i would love to see something in this style or in this universe or something like that maybe it's not focused on harley quinn and um and ivy but um i just think the coolest version of poison ivy ever as well like i love lake bell's poison ivy in this yeah and and i also like that it's not afraid to sort of take shots at fanboy culture as well and oh, sort yeah. of that was great what you know what basically the you know, male equivalent of Zack Snyder fandom uh, is right now. And and I agree. I, I think this is the best version of Poison Ivy I've ever seen. And it also makes you kind of want 
there to be a live action version for Margot Robbie to bounce off of uh, uh, a, a poison ivy of her own. Like, I think that's the other thing where it's like, this is a perfect companion piece to birds of prey. I think I like Harley Quinn more than, than, than birds of prey, but I think that, having watched those two seasons i'm now a a lot more invested in seeing uh another margot robbie harley quinn outing with you know the the companionship of uh poison ivy and i think that will be something that would would be worth checking out and exploring and i think this show um took a lot of influence from margot robbie's um harley quinn and i think margot robbie's Harley Quinn will take a lot of influence from this show. And that's, I I hope like if you're going to bring poison Ivy in, like there are rumors with Gotham city sirens or whatever the next movie will be. I hope that they do basically just, just take stuff from this show. Cause as I feel like they can both live in their own separate things, but I would definitely be heavily influenced by this. And I totally agree with you on that. Like, um, I, I agree with you that I think this is even, I liked birds of prey quite a bit. And I think that movie, uh, works in its own right. Um, like I love, you know, Ewan McGregor's black mask and that, and I think, but they're in the same kind of vein. And, um, I think this is maybe more, uh, creative or smart, I guess. Um, and it's not, it doesn't have to stick to, you know, your typical superhero, you know, uh, movie tropes and kind of things like that, where it can kind of get super weird and, and, and niche and stuff like that. But uh, I'm getting a phone call. I don't know what the hell that is probably some spam caller. Um, but yeah, dude, I, if you guys haven't watched it, you can easily just, um, subscribe to stack TV through, um, if you're in Canada, uh, through Amazon Prime, and I did a free trial, and then I ended up paying for Stack TV for a couple months because I wanted to keep watching this. So, um, Stack TV gives you uh, <clears throat> all the like, um, like I think chorus channels, so it includes like global and um, and and things like that, HGTV and shit, that kind of garbage. But um, but then it, it comes with Adult Swim, so you can stream the whole uh, both seasons of Harley Quinn on there. But I think the first season's also available on iTunes as well. Um, I was bummed though because in the U.S., Eric on DC Universe, all the episodes are in 4K, but here they were just they still looked good. But I would love to see those. I, I I would love for them to release this on a 4K disc, but I don't. They only released the first season on a DVD. On so. DVD, <laughs> Ugh, gross. Yeah. But you never know. Maybe once the series is finished, they'll release at least a Blu-ray version of it. Hopefully, yeah. Um, I think that that could work. Uh, yeah, I hope this continues. I think it's really, really great. Um, and then I watched Hamilton again with my family. So um, when it dropped on Disney Plus on Friday, um, my dad had yet to see it at all. My sister um, sought the live version with uh, Nevis and my and my mom and I in March, but she hadn't seen the recorded version yet. So um Obviously, it came out that day. I guess the only people to see it were, you know, people who had a screener like us. Um, right. And Nevis, because she sat with me and watched it. But um, I, I, it's great, man. It's such an easy watch. Even at three hours, like, I uh, sat there on a Friday night and uh, watched it with my dad and my sister with the sound cranked up. And, um, and it was a fantastic watching it again. Um. All right, let's move on to staying at home, which is a weird. I guess we should probably just change this 
title because you know uh, where, where else uh, are you gonna be yeah. Yeah, to be fair, when we wrote what staying at home was, we weren't all staying at home all the time. So The before um, times. Let's just call it this week on Blu-ray and digital. Um, Eric, do you want to go through your pick of the week? Yeah, so I, I've, I've talked about it on the show already, but uh, Baraka is going to be available on Blu-ray starting this upcoming week, uh, July 14th. It is one of the wildest neo-westerns uh, I have seen in recent memories. It's a good dash of genre and artistry that is fun and exciting, and I think anybody that loves that genre will have a great time with this movie, but also it goes to places that I think the hunt wanted to in terms of that, you know, uh, man is the, is the easiest prey um, dangerous game kind of situation that um, it's very much um, in, in line with genre wise. So um, I would highly recommend checking out Bracra. Uh, um there's a lot of great special features on there. There's a making of documentary. There's commentaries. Um, it's it's such a fun film, and I, and I hope you get to check it out at some point too. It's it's a good time. I do want to watch it. Yeah, I just uh, I I have my backlog of things is just. Um, I mean, I say that as I've already watched twenty Marvel movies again, so I'm a hypocrite. So um, I'll get around to it though. Um, for me on digital, I'll quickly run through um, some stuff that's on sale that I picked up or I think you should. Um, the 4K of Jaws is on sale, Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos, $10, as well as Saving Private Ryan in 4K. There's a big Tom Hanks sale on Apple right now. Um, I picked out some Saving Private Ryan in 4K for $10, I think is a great deal. Um Portrait of a Lady on Fire, not in 4K, but I still wanted to point it out because it is $5 on Apple right now, especially for a movie that really just came out, you know, not too long ago, um, I think is an excellent deal. I have yet to watch it, but I have heard good things from Eric, obviously, and um, and others. So $5 for Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, Apollo 11 in 4K, uh, one of the best documentaries of recent memory, uh, a movie that I think is only available digitally in 4k um, only available in 4K yes, digitally. In, yeah. In North America, I believe it is available on 4k physically in, in Europe. I think in England. Okay. Fair. Um, but for $5, uh, a steal for that movie, the footage in that movie, especially in 4k looks incredible. Um, Trader Schultz waves is four to uh, $5 in 4k. Um, and a movie that's not perfect, but for $5, definitely worth watching in 4K. Uh, Scorsese, another thriller uh, by him. Shutter Island 4K. Eric mentioned Cape Fear earlier in the show. Uh, $7 for Shutter Island. Um, the Running Man is in 4K Dolby Vision for $7. So I haven't seen that movie in fucking ages. So I might actually pick that up as well. It's a fun uh, film. It's a fun movie. Yeah. So uh, for seven bucks in 4K, might pick that up. Uh, and then two brand new movies to streaming today. Other than the movies that we mentioned that we reviewed, uh, we don't have reviews up for these movies yet. We might, uh, but First Cow and Money Plane, basically same quality. Perfect double bill. Yeah, <laughs> um, are available on VOD now. So um, 
uh, Kelly Reichardt's first cow you can stream actually on the new TIFF streaming service, which just dropped, um, or, you know, anywhere that you guys rent your, your digital, um, your digital films. So Eric, have you watched it yet or no? First cow? Yeah. Yeah. I, I reviewed it back in, uh, March. Right. It was one of the last right before, big yeah. reviews that I had. Yeah. Before it got, before it's it got pushed, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's so far my favorite film of the year that's been released other than the sound of, uh, metal. Okay, cool. Good to know. And then Money Plane, Eric and I do plan on watching and doing a review for Money Plane. So, because um, how can I, you not? Yeah, I think I got to get incredibly stoned and, and watch Money Plane because uh, I think that's the only way you could watch that. Uh, that clip you sent me, uh, hilarious. Um, I. I laughed. I showed Nevis the trailer um, <laughs> before bed the other night, and she was just like, "What is this? This looks awful." And I'm like, "Yes, that's why I have to watch it." She's just like, "Why does this look so bad?" And I'm like, "I don't know, Nevis, but it looks like it was like a student film where they got you know failing actors that really needed money or something like that, and they all had a gun to their head." Um, <laughs> oh God, it looks terrible and i can't wait i could just see like kelsey Grammer somewhere getting this call from like you know the director or one of the writers being like you know it's time to to cash in that favor that uh that you owe me because i helped you on (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i helped you on frazier that one time well now you're gonna be sky high with me on money (laughs) play like the i I, i'm like the trailer a lot of the times with these like directive VOD movies, they're, they're pretty bad, but like why they look especially bad is because no offense to, you know, whatever company they hired. I mean, probably all offense. Um, but the trailers are just so amateurish and janky where like the sound mix is terrible. And it's just like, I mean, the whole movie looks like it's going to be like that. So uh, I'm excited. It's available for $7 to rent or $10 to buy everyone. So if you want to spend that three extra dollars, you can own money plane for the rest of your life <laughs> or until Apple takes it away from you. It sounds like a threat. <laughs> the whole movie sounds like a threat starring adam copeland aka edge former wwe champion from toronto um so uh there's that um anyways that's what's streaming or what you guys can buy right now um (laughs) moving on to trailers um and you should watch the trailer to money plane and then let us know if you end up watching it a uh, few things out this week. Um, there was a very, very short teaser for Halloween Kills that dropped, um, which basically was like, a, hey, guys, we're sorry. We're pushing this an entire year. Here's a 30-second teaser trailer. And um, it looks like it takes place, you know, spoilers for no, for if you hadn't haven't watched um, the Halloween you know, legacy sequel from a couple of years ago, David Gordon Green's uh, uh, Halloween. Um, but it looks like it takes place, you know, moments after the end of that film with uh, Lori screaming at some fire trucks while she's, you know, trying to get away with her family. Um, let it burn. Let it, let it burn. Let it burn. And then showing uh, um, the house on fire. Um, with the release date of October 2021, uh, which 
I don't think they said, but I'm assuming that means Halloween ends is pushed to 2022 unless they plan on putting them both out next October, which I highly doubt. Um, They're going to do a Matrix Reloaded and Matrix uh, Revolutions with with Halloween. I mean, they could. You could do one beginning of October and end of October. I think that would be pretty cool, but um, maybe too much. Like, So I assume it'll be 2021 and 2022 now. They also announced that um, it will be getting an IMAX release um which the first well not the first but david gordon green's halloween did eventually get but it was like after the release i think it wasn't like for the release um yeah but we're getting an imax version of halloween kills uh i assume you're on the same page but probably a good call to push it a year right yeah, and I mean, obviously as well, with, with that move, they pushed Candyman to October, and I believe it's now taking up the space that Halloween Kills was originally going to have, and I'm sure there will be another delay for Candyman as well. Um, but it's weird, because with, with, with Candyman, like, it, it seemed like they were going to go with a, a a VOD release as well. Uh, I don't know if that's changed since uh, the, 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 the date or the rescheduling of Halloween kills. Um, I, I really do feel bad for some of these filmmakers who are unlike Christopher Nolan that are trying to like push for their films to be released theatrically, but are more so just caught in kind of a limbo. I mean, another film that has been, uh, delayed is, is St. Maud, which was supposed to come out in, uh, originally in April, uh, of this year, played at TIFF last year, uh, was moved to July and now it's, uh, indefinite and, uh, release wise. And, and A24 is one of those companies that it's like, okay, you need to see our films theatrically. And the reason why they're releasing First Cow, uh, on iTunes and other uh, streaming services is because they feel like, okay, well, at least the film played a couple of weeks before theaters were shutting down. Um, but you look at movies like green Knight as well. And like David Lowry um, had an interview a couple months ago with IndieWire, And he was saying like, I literally do not know what is going to happen with the film or when it's going to be released. So uh Yeah. It is what it is, but it's 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 a shame that like some filmmakers are really trying to, you know, do the best of what they can, but they're not trying to be like, oh, you need to see my movie in the theater. It's the only way to see it, like Christopher Nolan has been. It's just like I want you to see my movie some way, but I'm not sure how or when, and it's not up to me anymore. Well, and to your point, like, sure, I think that's an okay sentiment to have that you want people to see your film in a theater, but also you want people to be safe and not, you know give them a reason to maybe go to these places before they should. Or like, I think that's what's the most frustrating about the Nolan thing is everything we keep hearing from it is that he's the one who keeps pushing back being like, no, I want, I want tenant to be the first film that people go back and see when theaters open. So at that point, why not just fucking take it off and just go, it's coming out when theaters open (laughs) just like, yeah. I think at that point, I mean, I've heard, I've seen some other people tweet this as well, being like, we need to just scrap the rest of this year. And basically studios need to determine which movies they want to put on VOD, start setting those dates so we can start to have an understanding of what's coming out on VOD for the rest of the year, and then start plopping things on the calendar maybe for, you know, March or April and later of next year or something. I don't know. But the the Nolan thing is frustrating and it um it's just like 
I feel like people are following his lead a little bit too and why other places keep other people keep delaying their movies, you know, only by a couple weeks or a month or something like that. Like, I don't know who the fuck knows, but um, I won't be caught dead going to see Tenet in a theater in uh, August probably, but we'll see. Which it won't be released in August. Let's, let's be <laughs> honest. Like it will be moved again. And like, yeah, no. And I agree with you. Like a movie like unhinged, does not need to be released theatrically to be enjoyed. Like you could still get the same effect of watching that, you know, streaming in the comfort of your own home. And the reason why it's, it's taking that opportunity is because it wants to be the film that beats tenant to the punch. And like, that's the only sort of marketing gimmick it really has at this point. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, next trailer, uh, she dies tomorrow, a neon uh, release film, uh, which played at, uh where did it play south by southwest south by southwest and it didn't really play it was more of it screened for uh jury members and distributors and it gained a lot of critical uh acclaim from that inner circle and 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 people were talking about it and then neon uh picked it up and uh just released the trailer it's directed by amy seitzman who is uh is a indie filmmaker um, you've probably seen her in movies like Upstream Color, and she had a small role in uh, Ridley Scott's Alien Covenant. Um, this movie, I, I mean, I, you were texting me after watching the trailer and saying that this movie is just playing on your anxiety and watching it. Yeah. You know you're going to be in for a visceral experience. Yes. Um, so the concept, uh, I mean, you guys should check out the trailer. It's a very stylish trailer. I think it looks fantastic. Um, but it is the type of, you know, psychological horror, um, that I think will fuck me up. And, um, but I think it looks great. Um, it's about a woman who truly believes that she knows that she is going to die tomorrow. And then her, it's kind of like, um, uh, uh oh, oh my god why am i blanking um the std horror movie that came out uh, oh it follows it follows and things like that where it kind of infects other people's minds and then they uh at least in this way i'm saying it's similar to it follows um but the way that it infects people and then they also believe that they are going to die the next day and and i don't know like it just I think it's playing in that realm of people who are maybe hypochondriacs or just worry about everything. Or like, I always worry like, Oh, I have this fear that I, you know, I'm going to even before like every little thing I'm like, Oh, I can't get a full breath. I think I have lung cancer, but I've never smoked a day in my life or something like that. Or like, I have this worry that I'm going to die of a heart attack at a young age or some shit like that. I'm just afraid of death in general. So this just, um, plays into those anxieties I think. And I think will really fuck me up and it looks scary because of that. And I'm sure that's why it is very, very scary. Um, but I, I I think it looks excellent. Like I'm, I'm excited to watch it. Yeah. It, it, to me, it looks like, uh, neons, a 24 movie where it's being sold as like, you know, a classic kind of horror movie, jump scare kind of thing where you'll be entertained for an hour and a half. But then when you actually go to watch it, it's more sort of thoughtful and quiet and sort of, building on atmosphere and dread yeah totally um so we'll we'll have a review for it um we will be reviewing it um but i'm scared to watch it but <laughs> i gotta see when that screen yeah. runs out because i'll have to work up the uh i tried to even put the trailer on last night again because like i always peruse the apple uh trailers app on my apple tv because the quality um of those trailers is 
a lot better than it's on YouTube or something like that. But um, I shut it off because I was kind of stoned last night too. And I was just like, I can't do this right now. <laughs> I just can't, <laughs> can't watch this. Um, next trailer, uh, the HBO Max original film, An American Pickle, starring Seth Rogen. Um, trailer just dropped. Um, it'll be coming to Crave here in Canada, um, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, so uh, it, this stars Seth Rogen, like I mentioned. Uh, he plays um, uh, a guy who works in a uh, pickle factory in the early 1900s um and then he falls into a vat of uh pickle brine and it ends up you know preserving his body until the year uh, 2019 or 2020 when he wakes up perfectly you know alive and normal and in modern new york city um and he runs into his great 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 grandson i think yeah Um, the lineage is that he's that uh, that the the other Seth Rogen, the contemporary Seth Rogen, is the last of his uh, family Blood lineage. Line. Yeah, yeah. Um, looks good. I, I, I'm, I, I'm. It's absurd, but also feels like it has a lot of heart. Um, I, I love Seth Rogen. I have a soft spot for Rogen, and um, uh, I, you know me with the aspect ratios with the. Uh, you know, the 19 early 1900s to the modern kind of thing. And I just love the style and vibe of this whole thing. And it's such a, a weird concept that I'm a hundred percent down, down for this. I'm not against it, but I, I, I said this when we first talked about the description of it and I'm getting it even more and I don't know why, but when it comes to high concept comedies, like this basically feels like a weird cross between uh, that, Mel Gibson movie from the early nineties, uh, forever young with, uh, the Adam Sandler comedy, the cobbler, where the idea is so outlandish on paper. It seems like, okay, this might be something that's kind of a unique watch, but then you actually sit down and spend the hour and a half to two hours with the movie. And you're like, this thing is out of control and it just doesn't really you know, it doesn't sell you on what it was originally presented as. And like, I remember with the cobbler, like hearing that premise was like, okay, this is kind of like intriguing. And then you watch that movie and it's like one of the worst things you've ever seen. And it's just amazing that Tom McCarthy had such a rebound from the cobbler to spotlight. So I I do wonder in that way that, you know, will it be like how, sort of grounded will it be in reality versus you know a guy waking up out of a vat of pickle brine you know yeah we'll see um we'll also uh review this for you guys as well um next up the tax collector from o- cinema auteur david ayer <laughs> release the ayer cut <laughs> i feel like we will get that um which actually i'm to go on a tangent for a second, um, I do. I'm more. I would be more interested in the air cut of Suicide Squad than I would be the Snyder cut of Justice League. That's just being said because, like, I, I don't know. Like, Suicide Squad is such a fu- so is Justice League, but such a j- fucking disaster that obviously was recut in post by the studio or by this trailer company or whatever. Like I'd be curious to see how different his movie is than the movie that was released. Not saying that it would be any better, but I'd be, 
I mean, I'm going to watch both the Snyder cut and, and obviously the Ayer cut, if it ever comes out just out of morbid curiosity. But, um, I just feel like that they tried to turn that movie into something that it a hundred percent was not shot as, and that's why that movie is such a disaster. Um, but I don't know if it would make it a good movie. I'd just be curious to see what came out of it. And, um, that's why, I mean, the whole Snyder cut thing is going to be fascinating too, because it seems like it's a completely different movie, but, um, anyways, the, the collector was Shia LaBeouf and, uh, Bobby Soto. Um, yeah, I mean, this looks like it's, you know, it's air that he was doing before he did Suicide Squad. So I don't know. Yeah, it looks obnoxious and over the top, and it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of you know the 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 ten with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Which, um, well, what did they call they? That wasn't the original. That wasn't the final title. The ten was its like working title. But you know the movie I'm talking about. I'm going to look it up right now. I I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Um, yeah, Ayer's one of those guys that I don't think I've liked any of his things or any of his movies like even fury which is probably for me his most tolerable film i and still I found like kind fury of like at all generic yeah uh and at best watch was the only and i think that's because i like gyllenhaal and michael pena so much um and i i mean i like you know frank grillo and anna kendrick and and uh even david harbour but like uh, i end of watch is his only movie that i kind of dig street kings is awful <laughs> um, oh yeah sabotage is is the schwarzenegger oh, film right. and it yeah, is yeah. a night terror of a of a film yeah sabotage is terrible um and yeah this um yeah this does feel like it will be kind of like that um i have nothing more really to say but I don't either. It's just other than like the, the, the kind of the main visual is that you have Shia LaBeouf all tattooed up. Like that's kind of like right. your main promo image. Sure. Um, and then finally, the last trailer we have is for uh, another Disney plus film. Uh, the one and only Ivan, um, which is about a gorilla. That's all I have. <laughs> I mean, it's gotta be better than uh Doolittle, right? With Rami Malek as a gorilla. Yeah, um, this looks, I don't know, whatever. It looks like a streaming movie. Um, I i like the voice cast, but it just looks kind of schmaltzy and kind of, you know, it's a Disney movie that's going to be on Disney+. Plus. I, I, I like Sam Rockwell enough, but I just don't know if I like him enough to watch a, him as an animated gorilla. But I feel like this is one of those Disney Plus movies that I, uh, I'll if we end up reviewing it, cause there's not much else probably in August that we'll have to review, we'll probably watch it and do that. But, um, you know, talking animals and circus stuff. I mean, I feel like we've seen it like a zillion times now that I just, uh, uh, I don't know if I care at all. Yeah. And like, it's, it's funny with Sam Rockwell playing the role. Cause it's probably like, he's going through scripts. It's like, ah, racist, white supremacist, <laughs> neo-Nazi nazi gorilla i'll take it it's the first time i'm playing somebody that's not a complete you know scumbag or or you know worst human being in the world yep so i mean i I don't know danny devito in another movie that takes place at a circus so um 
Angelina Jolie's in this as well. Brooklyn Prince, Helen Mirren, Shaka Khan, Philippa Sue, Brian, Cran- Brian Cranston, Brian Cranston in a live action. Uh, he's not a live live action. He's one of the human characters. Um, the live action version <laughs> of Brian Cranston. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. It's, Played by Danny DeVito. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it looks fine. I guess whatever. Uh, that wraps up trailers. We got a lot of news this week, not as much as last week, so we can kind of fly through this. Um, first piece of news, uh, another sad piece of news. I hate that every week we kind of have to start, uh, this off, uh, with kind of a, in memoriam, but, um, uh, Ennio Morricone, uh, passed away, uh, this past week at the age of 91, Eric, or 92? 92. 92. Uh, a great uh, long life, uh, but one of the most iconic composers, uh, film composers of all time. Um, and uh, I just wanted to kind of honor him for a moment. I know, Eric, you've been listening to a lot of uh, Morricone this week. Yeah, it, he's one of those guys that is synonymous, maybe next to John Williams as, you know, the great, you know, movie uh, composer, you know, his, his, his work especially with uh, Sergio Leone is, is known far and wide. I mean, even if you haven't seen, you know, the man with no name trilogy and, and, you know, have watched them all the way through his work is permeated pop culture to the point where, you know, those music cues and those stings as soon as they begin. And when you hear, you know, certain music cues and songs, you're just like, okay, this is, you know, Aino Morricone. And this is, you know, a piece of incredible music that oftentimes elevates the, the scene that is being played out, um, especially in, you know, Leone uh, Westerns. Like you look at the good, the bad and the ugly, and you think about the showdown between, you know, Lee Van Cleef and Eli Wallach and, and Clint Eastwood and, sort of you know the the cross cutting of the eyes looking back and forth and how that musical score yeah yeah and or you know the ecstasy of gold like it's 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 such an important part of not just movie culture but culture in general and obviously a lot of people were reintroduced to that through tarantino specifically who's always been a huge fan of the spaghetti western in general and italian cinema and you know obviously with once upon a time in hollywood paying tribute to that but you know you know contributing a piece of original music to django unchained and uh both you know, Inglorious Bastards kind of incorporating a lot of his stuff. You you can tell that, you know, people still to this day, you know, had such a huge reverence for his work or even, you know, in the 80s when he was doing more American movies like The Mission or, you know, Brian De Palma's The Untouchables. Like those songs, like that opening credits sequence for – the untouchables is very boring and generic looking, but with his score playing it's cinematic and it gives you goosebumps just listening to it. And he's one of those guys that just, you know, you think about him or, or, or with John Carpenter with, with the thing, like, I mean, I I've talked about this before, but like John Carpenter's note to, you know, Morricone was, you know, less notes, less. And then by the time you get, to the final score of that movie that's used because a lot of it was repurposed for the hateful eight. It sounds like 
Ennio Marconi is mimicking a uh uh, John Carpenter score. So the guy was very versatile and just an incredible body of work. And again, such a huge contribution to, you know, Italian cinema. I, I've also talked about the great silence uh, before on this show. Um, an amazing uh, movie, but that score adds so much to it. So does once upon a time uh, in America and once upon a time in the West, you just, you know it's his work as soon as you start hearing it the same way that you know John Williams's you know iconic cues when once they hit you're just like okay I know who this guy is I know this guy's voice you know coming through and those scenes will forever be kind of burned in your mind because of the music and yeah I mean it's sad that he's gone and like a big part of of history goes with him but making it to your early nineties is nothing to scoff at. And, you know, he'll be remembered for decades to come because of his contribution to, to music overall. Yeah. I totally echo all of that. Um, our first piece of news, um, Oscar Isaac and Michelle Williams are going to be starring in the HBO remake of scenes from a marriage. Uh, Eric, I'm not super familiar with scenes from a marriage. Are you, are you, I, I believe it was a sweet. Yeah, yeah. So this kind of, yeah, it's, it's Ingmar Bergman's, uh, Swedish domestic, uh, drama about a relationship kind of on the outs. And I mean, like the, the, the closest more, more recently is marriage story. I mean, there are, there are direct references in marriage story to scenes from a marriage. Um, the, I don't really want to mention his name, but the guy who always kind of, looked at Bergman's films, especially scenes from a marriage as a, you know, a contemporary masterpiece and kind of repeated certain moments of humor and melancholy was Woody Allen. Woody Allen yeah. was a big Bergman fan. And especially when it came to uh, scenes from a marriage and uh, the seventh seal. Um, so I, I'm curious to see what an American version of that would look like. I mean, obviously you have two great actors, already paired up so that'll be interesting on its own i think whoever helms this has got to be somebody in that same league that can bring something to it that's not just okay I, i'll set up the camera and let the actors act like i think you need somebody that's not maybe going to overdo it with style but somebody that is 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 just as muscular as an actor or as, as a filmmaker as you know Oscar Isaac and Michelle Williams are uh, as actors. So I, I'm curious, but it, at the same time, it almost feels like we got that with marriage story already, you know? Yeah, I, I'd agree. I, I mean, I love both Isaac and, and Williams. So um, I think two of the best working right now. So, I mean, I, I'm definitely down. I just, uh, I'm with you. I, I liked marriage story enough where if I, do I need something very similar to that? right now i don't know but um i like them enough that i would probably check it out just for them um the forever purge gets a new release date of july 9th 2021 um it's supposed to be the last purge movie um just wanted to quickly mention this because i mean release date delays are you know basically all we have right now and i'm going to sneeze <coughs> um and then uh I don't know. I, I have a soft spot for the purge movies a little bit too. 
And the last one, I remember being like, that was actually kind of okay. And some of the social commentary it was making, uh, was that the last one or the one before that? Uh, uh, the first purge was yeah. the uh, the original, the OG King of Staten Island movie. Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I thought with Marissa they, Tomei, and um, they kind of turned it into this weird like action horror franchise. Um, a great jump scare. Um, I don't know which purge it was, but there's some great like gag jump scares in that movie. And um, I don't know. I that's the I, third one. The third one. Okay. See, they all kind of blend together, which is, I guess, the point that I'm trying to make. But I still, I, I, it's not like I'm eagerly anticipating them, but I'm always like, yeah, I'll go watch a new Purge movie. Why not? Yeah. It's, it's interesting how that franchise has kind of evolved over four movies and a TV series as being weirdly social, political, and timely. Like now you look at the Purge and you're like really depressed that actually it's kind of close to what, Right. At least America is right now, um, and even other parts of of North America and the world. But um, like, yeah, it's, it's just fascinating. To- it's not too far off, right? Like if they did introduce yeah. something like this, like the way that we're seeing, I'd be like, okay, yeah, it I'd makes like, sense. Oh yeah, this, there will be people who will participate in this because they're all fucking morons. Yeah, the one percent will, you know, have a, a, a devil's night where. You know they they kill off the the ninety nine percent because they can get away with murder and obviously also attacking people of color specifically. But it's it is interesting that it's like that series went from kind of a cheap low budget you know home invasion thriller with Ethan Hawke in the lead to again a very timely and politically active and charged series and like that progression is it, I think that's more interesting than like any individual film in that series just seeing like okay this is where it started from and this is where it's gone you would never would have predicted that's what the purge would ultimately end up being yeah even though the concept of the purge is inherently political but like you said that first movie is just you know a pretty straight up home invasion movie and i I, that's what i you totally said it more eloquently than i did but um that's exactly kind of what i mean and why i sort of look forward to these movies because it is interesting of where they went and i feel like the social commentary they were making especially in the in the first purge um i think is kind of interesting and while the movies aren't great um i think that there is some interesting stuff there so um will this be the last purge i doubt it but they're saying it right now that it is so the forever purge coming next year um the wolfman has a director as uh lay wanell um uh jumps on to direct ryan gosling um the director of uh, most recently the invisible man um so is he now blumhouse's universal monster man Yes, I would I would believe so in the same way that James Wan is the conjuring universe, you know, uh uh head, uh, you know, the guy who's kind of controlling uh all the strings, the puppet master. It's it's interesting cuz like hearing this news, there there are two things that I I take away from this right away. One is that Okay, I, I like Lee Wan L quite a bit in in terms of what he's done as a director with both Upgrade and The Invisible Man. We really like that movie, um, and and think that that 
version of the Invisible Man and bringing it into the 21st century really worked. And obviously with him being hired onto this, they want the same thing. I'm just kind of disappointed that it's like, I would I would like him to maybe be like the the, the godfather, if you will, the person is kind of like you or whatever. Right, because that's the... <laughs> yeah, but that's clearly what this is is now because you can tell that with hiring him for the Wolfman, that they're thinking, okay, well, we are now going to make this a shared universe. And at you know, spoiler alert for anybody who has not seen the Invisible Man, jump ahead thirty seconds. But the end of the Invisible Man, where Elizabeth Moss has the other suit that she takes with her, felt like okay, well, if we are going to do a sequel or if we are going to create an expanded universe this is a perfect way to leave that door open for this character and now with wolfman i feel almost like this will be like the iron man 2 of you know the the universal monster movie where they'll start actually putting not just a story about you know the universal monster the the wolfman himself but bring in other elements that might also include references or a cameo from Elizabeth Moss or something in there that will be setting up the bigger world. Cause then also you have to think that, well, Karen Kusama right now is working on uh, a new version of Dracula for Blumhouse as well. So how is that going to be incorporated? And I'm sure, you know, Frankenstein's monsters is, is also somewhere brewing, but with this news, it's kind of a bummer that we couldn't see somebody else take a stab at a new version of the Wolfman but at the same time, now we know, or at least this pretty much confirms that this will probably be a piece of, uh, you know, a bigger puzzle, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we already talked about the Candyman um, uh, delay, so we can skip over that. Um, Ready Player Two, uh, the novel, is coming this November, not the movie. Uh, although now this leaves it open uh, for a sequel to the Spielberg movie. But uh, Ernest Klein's Ready Player One is getting a sequel novel in um, in November of this year. Um, not much else is known. Just kind of wanted to touch on it because it does kind of have some you know tie-ins with the Spielberg movie. So um, I did read the first book. Um, I... I remember talking about it with you, Eric and your brother, where it was just like, I love the idea. And and I feel like the same way about the movie. It's just, um, I don't know if it was completely, I like the movie enough. I think Spielberg did a good job, but, um, it's just felt very kind of juvenile or, or, or teen novel ish when I was reading it in some of the dialogue. And I know a lot of people make fun of Ernest Klein's writing in the sense of that. It's just very reference heavy and it's just, it's almost in that big bang theory territory of you're not really saying anything. You're just saying references um, in a lot of things, but I love the idea of this Willy Wonka thing that's t- taking place in a video game. And, and I think there are great ideas in there. And I love the idea of incorporating all these different properties from the eighties and things like that. I just, um, his writing is what kind of held back that book, but obviously it was super popular. Steven Spielberg made it into a film. Um, I probably will read this just cause I'm like now invested in both the, the, the book and the, and the, uh, and the movie, but I have no idea what it would be. Um, but uh, anyways, it comes out in November. Um, I'll probably talk about it um, on this show then. I just kind of wanted to um, to uh, let everyone know. And we're still ha- we still have plans to review Charlie Kaufman's Ant Kind. 
Um, it just might take us a little while to get through it. It is 706 pages or something like that. And it is a dense read. Um, so maybe book reviews is something we'll do more often, but, um, we're kicking it off with something that's probably one of the more difficult reads. Um, and in a good way, don't get me wrong from what I've read, Eric. And I think you're on the same page. Like I've really loved what I've read so far. It's just a hard book to kind of, you know, sit down and read a, a huge chunk of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like reading what I have so far of Ant Kind is basically just, and you know, like being John Malkovich, it is being Charlie Kaufman, and it feels like you have entered the mindset of of him writing this. And like, there are passages in where he's having these inner monologues of you know ramblings about falling in love with the woman at the whole the Whole Foods store and things like that. That you're kind of like. This is literally like a a page from adaptation, not meaning that he's plagiarizing himself or copying himself, but it feels like, okay, this truly is from the same guy who wrote all these very idiosyncratic stories and are kind of, you know, almost impossible um, to pitch as as a film or a tv series and him sort of taking aim at specific film critics i mean the way that he describes the main character in this in this book is exactly like richard brody and i'm I'm almost like i wonder if like there are some people that i can see him doing it as almost kind of like uh you know a fun kind of like nod to, cause I think Manola Dargis has liked some of his stuff in the past, but like the Armin white uh, bit at the uh, beginning yeah. there where like, you know, like has Armin white created like a, like a, a, a spy drone out of a, like a bug to, you know, catch this, this, this film critic writer um, to sabotage him is insane. And I think giving Armin white way too much credit, but it's kind of funny to see him almost like, you know, strike back at film critics because there have been books and movies and and such that have done that in the past, but it always feels like a reaction to, you know, past work or, 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 you know, getting back at the person that, you know, wrote you a bad review where this it's kind of doing that a little bit, but it does it in a way that I think is very sly and funny. And there are so many uncomfortable moments that are hard to even read, yeah. Uh, you, you were texting me the way that he refers to his African-American girlfriend throughout is just so cringy. It's like, oh, very it's, just, it, it's so self-important, but yeah, but yeah, it, it, it works for, for what it's doing. And like, I think it's a great read, but at the same time, I don't want to ha- base a review just on what we've read. I think we really need Such to give part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like the full scope of what the story is, the same way that when you watch Synecdoche, New York, you watch 15, 20 minutes of that movie and you kind of get the sense, okay, this is going to be something that's a little bit off the beaten path, but you watch the whole film and then you realize what he is truly doing with this singular piece of art. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely come back to that and have a full review uh, in our uh, review section at, at some point. But yeah, I, I wouldn't be against reviewing other books. I don't know if I would be up for reading Ready Player Two unless oh, we got a, a a copy to review to review. Well, we, but I, I, I do think to get that. But I I won't force you to read anything you don't want to, and I understand why you would right. want to, but. Yeah, yeah. I think I'll just wait for the the inevitable Robert Zemeckis sequel. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's yeah. Um, 
All right, moving on. Um, Jude Law is going to play Captain Hook in uh, the Disney live action uh, uh, Peter Pan and Wendy um, from David Lowry, right? Oh, yeah. Which I, which he is the reason why I'm kind of morbidly curious uh, about this because like, I don't think I need another fucking Peter Pan movie. <laughs> um, but I because it's coming from David Lowry, who I absolutely adore and he already did do a great job with Pete's dragon. So, um, it's showing that he can make, you know, an interesting live action, you know, Disney film. Um, I like Drew law enough. I, I can't, I guess, picture him as captain hook right now, maybe, but, um, not that that matters, but, um, I think the David Lowry connection here with him directing this is why I'm sort of excited for this. Yeah, and he even talked about like when because when it was first announced that he was going to direct the film, it was when Joe Wright's version of Pan was coming out. And he even said, like, I, I get it. Like, I know that, you know, Pan, Peter Pan has been done so many times. And it's like, well, what's the point? But he seemed very adamant to have an interesting perspective and take on the material. So I'm I'm hopeful. I still haven't watched um Wendy yet, Ben Zeitlin's movie, but I hope to rectify yeah, that same, um yeah. in, in in the future because I, I am curious about that movie still. Um but yeah, I, I think this the the selling point, as you already mentioned, is Lowry himself. And I would be curious to see the kind of movie he makes. And especially if he's working again in fantasy after having done uh, the Green Knight, because it seems like the Green Knight is very much in the fantasy genre. So going from maybe something that's a little bit more adult themed in terms of fantasy to maybe a, a, a kid's movie with a little bit more bite. And it's interesting reading that press release because it really states throughout that this is going to be a theatrical release and not a Disney Plus um, streamer. Which is good. I'm into that. Um, HBO Max orders an animated series based on the Oscar winning short film, uh, Hair Love, um, which I actually enjoyed quite a bit. I did watch, uh, you can watch it on YouTube right now. I think it's on the Sony Pictures Animation, uh, YouTube page. I know Matthew A. Cherry, um, just signed, I think, an overall deal with, uh, Warner Brothers or HBO that, you know, Time Warner, whoever the hell owns HBO. Um, and he will be the showrunner on this uh, series uh, with Carl Jones. Eric, did you watch Hair Love and did you like it? Like, I think uh, I, I did. Thought- I did. I think it's a very accessible, friendly crowd pleaser that, like, it made perfect sense that it won the Oscar. Um, I'm curious to see what 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 a series would be. I think it would be something kind of unique, and we'll be talking more about um, uh, HBO Max in a second. But it really does seem like they're trying to explore every avenue possible right now to maintain and 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 expand an audience which i think is good i i i'm I'm curious it's 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 interesting because like you could go in so many directions with a, a series like that that it doesn't have to be necessarily even called hair love like i'm not sure it will be when it's done but like no it feels like okay you could make a I don't want to say sitcom, but like a, like an ongoing kind of like animated series in that vein where it's like a half an hour show about family life and modern America and, you know, looking at African American culture and life and what that means today, contextually speaking, that I think could be really, you know, 
insightful and essential to, you know, kids growing up and seeing themselves on, you know, the TV screen or the big screen. And, and that is a great step and uh, a, a, an interesting one. So I, I, it's, it's a curiosity for sure. Yeah. Agreed. Um, where was I? Uh, Dylan O'Brien is going to co-star in Peter Farrelly's Vietnam war movie. Greatest beer run ever. Uh, cool. <laughs> I don't know. Great. <laughs> great. Um, Brad Pitt boards, uh, David Leitch's action thriller bullet train. Um, see Eric, it's called bullet train because there's assassins on the train and assassins use bullets. So it's a double entendre. No, that's not, but do they always use bullets, Matt? I don't know. They sometimes Uh, use rubber chickens. That's true. Um, I love Brad Pitt. Um, I take it or leave it on David Leitch. I feel like um, obviously can direct some good action sequences. So I don't know. This could be fun. Um, so uh, I don't know. I like Brad Pitt as an action star as well. So I don't know. I'm 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 game. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it seems like with obviously John Wick specifically and uh, Atomic Blonde, um, you know, you're, you're getting every sort of mid-range middle-age action star or actor who has done action in the past now coming and i guess maybe even before that with taken a little bit where you know you get to a certain age you want to still prove that you have the chops to physically you know impose and be a, a great screen presence so i can see Pitt after winning you know the oscar for once upon a time in hollywood kind of just being like yeah i want to do something fun you know just something that's kind of an easy kind of, you know, action movie that will also maybe test, test me physically and, and, you know, prove that I have the stamina still to go toe to toe with, with other actors and stunt people. So, yeah. Which I'm totally here for. So I'm, I'm cool with that. Um, more on the streaming, uh, realm of things and back on the video game kind of, uh, adaptation end of things. Um, fallout, uh, the hit game series is getting a TV show at Amazon uh, at Prime Video uh, from Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy, who you guys would know as the um, showrunners and creators of Westworld and Christopher Nolan's brother. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> uh, Eric, I don't know how familiar you are with Fallout, um, but not uh, at all. Okay. Uh, it's a huge, hugely popular game series. I have i mean people will be like oh my god uh but i've never played a fallout game just haven't hasn't really been my thing um but basically it's a you know uh earth post nuclear uh you know a nuclear event so it's the fallout a nuclear fallout um but the game is notorious for its you know aesthetic of like a it's got like a you know, a fifties kind of aesthetic to the whole thing, even though it takes place in the late, you know, uh, 2000 or 2000, I think in the late, you know, 2070s or something like that. Um, but it always has this, you know, they, there's this thing called the vault boy. Who's this like mascot that they have for this whole thing. (laughs) And like, and everyone's in these vaults. Right. And then you're eventually allowed out and you're into, you know, post-apocalyptic, uh, earth after you get let out of these vaults and it's got yeah this 50 40s 50s style to it um i'm probably butchering the explanation of fallout and there'll be huge fallout fans that could probably tell me 
way more. Um, but it's interesting to me that we're seeing more and more video game, uh, video games get, uh, you know, uh, adapted into, uh, television shows on streaming services. So, um, obviously you guys have heard me talk about the last of us coming to HBO, uh, which is more traditional television, but with HBO max, that kind of blurs the lines of all of that. Um, but maybe television is where, you know, these video game adaptations are going to be, you know, thriving because obviously The Witcher did very well for um, Netflix, um, which is probably the best reviewed video game adaptation, like pure adaptation, not a, a you know, a movie that just takes elements from video games. But um, The Witcher, I know, was well received, wasn't really my thing. Um but yeah, I, I mean, as a huge video game fan, you've heard us talk about them over the last couple of weeks um, with the release of The Last of Us. Um, I'm curious to see if we, we're going to see more and more video games, you know, go over to streaming services or or get TV adaptations because it gives them a little bit more, you know, room to breathe and kind of flesh out their stories because notoriously games are much longer than, you know, the two hours you get in a film. Yeah, I, I think uh, The Last of Us is the reason why uh, Fallout was optioned, and I wouldn't be surprised in the in the coming months and, and next year even that we see more um, television studios and streaming services option the right for certain games that would fit in the medium of television because of that. Because it's, it's almost like, well, we have this on standby if – you know, whatever the first one of these will be, if it is the last of us, say it goes into production and it's finished and becomes a huge hit. Well, it's like, okay, well, we have our own last of us now that we can green light if, if it's successful. It's the same way when, like, I remember with, um, you know, we were joking about it on uh, uh, the Greyhound uh, review, but with Battleship, like you saw studios buying up the board game options and, and, and like to, to be totally serious at that moment, like Monopoly was going to be directed by Ridley Scott at one point. And you know, I think that where it is now, Kevin Hart had the option for it, but you saw that happen because the studios were like, okay, well, you know, they we see potential because another studio has bought this. And if it is a success, we can, you know, go ahead with it. But if it's not, we can just cut our losses. It's something that we just kind of reserve the rights for. We don't pay that much for. And it's the same. It's, it was even the same thing with comic book movies. You saw. Yeah. After the success of. Yeah. Yeah. And even, even with Batman, Batman 89, you saw other studios picking the rights up for certain Marvel and DC characters and, you know, other characters outside of those comic book series as well. And, you know, a lot of them didn't work, but it's almost like having, you know, a, a this thing in your back pocket. That's kind of like, okay, we'll keep this just in case. Yeah. And, and obviously video game movies haven't really worked. So why not try a different medium? Right. Um, and yeah, I, and board games um, was an interesting one. I always wanted um, basically a Jenga movie that was just a ripoff of Die Hard, where the terrorist was just blowing up one section of a building at a time until it finally collapses. That was my Jenga pitch, but um, no one, no one bought that. So, <laughs> um, Clone High reboot coming to MTV from Phil Lord, Chris Miller, and Bill Lawrence. Uh, something people have been asking for, I think, for a very long time. 
Um, people love Clone High. I have, I love Phil Lord and Chris Miller, and I have never watched Clone High. So I feel like I probably, which is crazy. That is crazy to me that you have never seen because that to me is like the first thing I, I think I remember seeing of uh phil lord and chris miller's work like i mean i didn't know it was them at that point like it was until like you know the lego movie and 21 jump street where it's like oh those are the same guys that were responsible for that because obviously as well will forte uh voices abe lincoln is, is the voiceover narrator and at the beginning and end of every episode they'll bookend it with you know on a very special episode of clone high and you know he goes on these rants it's it's amazing and you know, hearing this and also with um, undergrads as well, which has been optioned to have a, a, a new uh, season, I, I think and of this the same butthead. way that I do. Yeah, and Beavis and Butthead. But Beavis and Butthead is a weird one because they already revived that for a little bit and it didn't work at MTV. Um, but with, with these two shows, because they were in syndication on Teletoon for such a long period of time, I think of it almost as like the family guy thing where, you know, family guy gets canceled three seasons. It kind of becomes a hit and syndication repeats. People kind of become familiar with it. It is a weird show, but then as soon as it comes back, it just isn't the same. It kind of loses its strength. And I'm not saying that clone high and, and, you know, undergrads will, continue on for as long as family guy has since coming back but it almost feels similar where it's like we're taking something that has a cult following mission hill was the other show that hasn't been given a green light yet but i'm sure maybe that'll come up at some point as well where those three shows were like the mtv teletoon programs that and the oblongs i guess to a certain degree as well that played over and over and over again to the point where like people just loved it to death but yeah the clone high is your shit like you would love i i i remember it being on because like you mentioned it was on teletoon all the time and things like that but um i don't know why i just never got into it or never really watched it but uh i haven't i've probably seen an episode or something like that but I haven't sat down and watched it front to back. So um, maybe before this reboot, I should definitely go back and watch it. Or it should be a show where I just, you know, if I'm a little stone, just throw it on and watch it or something like that. But Well, there's an um, episode where the kids at Clone High smoke grapes and the uh, drug dealing pusher is voiced by Jack Black. Okay. And there's a whole song <laughs> musical sequence, which is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> As I take a sip of my houseplant grapefruit cannabis soda, um, not a sponsor, um, Seth Rogen's company, Eric. So <laughs> there you go. American pickle coming to- You think it'll come out? Yeah. An American pickle flavor? <laughs> a pickle flavor? Maybe. We'll see. Um, something I probably should have just brought up when we were talking about Charlie Kaufman, but Charlie Kaufman's I'm thinking of ending things has a release date, uh, for Netflix, which is September 4th. Um, very, very excited for this. Um, have no idea what to expect, but, um, I'm definitely going to finish his book before then. And I would like to do, I know I say this a lot about, you know, a ton of different filmmakers and movies, but I would love to go through his, um, filmography again before um this comes out because i've seen most of it but i there's still i still have a few blind spots for some of the stuff he's written and um i mean i've seen most of the stuff he's directed but uh i haven't seen 
Eternal Sunshine. Uh, I haven't seen Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, but I've seen pretty much everything else. But uh, I think I might go through and rewatch those. Uh, I'm I'm very excited for this. I know you are too. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm a huge fan of his, and I actually rewatched Synecdoche, New York, not too long ago. Um, and that movie just keeps getting better and better. And it also just made me really miss, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very curious about this film as well, because reading there, there was an interesting, um, article and review kind of more so about ant kind, but did talk a little bit about his frustrations with, you know, the industry and it's, it's in the book as well, but he only took about 20% of the novel, which is kind of, he described it as very conventional in terms of like a dramatic thriller and is turned it into something else. And that intrigues me quite a bit because he did the same thing with adaptation with uh, the orchid thief. So we'll see what this becomes, but I have a feeling it'll almost like turn in on itself the way that many of his uh, films as both a writer and a director normally do. Um, I've, I've seen everything that he's, he's done. I think eternal sunshine of the spotless mind is maybe his most overrated. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Michelle Gondry. Yeah. 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 It's, it's good, but it's one of those movies I haven't seen in a while. And I feel like it almost kind of falls in that weird category of love that people had for, you know, garden state um, or, you know, those kind of like chintzy kind of, you know, indie movies of the early 2000s that might not hold up as well on rewatch. Yeah, I'm curious because it'll be my first watch going in with, you know, no expectations really other than, you know, I've heard people enjoy it, but I have heard that other side of it too. But um, I love being John Malkovich and Adaptation and Anomalisa and um, Synecdoche. I don't, I don't think I've actually seen that either. So um, I have huge blind spots, but you know, I've seen the, his, heavy hitters i guess the ones that everyone kind of knows them for but um uh, human nature you've seen human nature no i haven't is it any good or no it's okay it's also michelle gondry directed oh, right. it's kind of yeah. like hit or miss yeah, you've never been a gondry fan um no i like be kind rewind that's the one where i I think that's the one I've liked the most of his, but in terms of a filmmaker, I think the best stuff that Michelle Gondry has ever done is his music videos. Yeah, that's fair. Um, what am I on here? A couple more pieces. Uh, Will Smith's emancipation sells to Apple for $120 million. Yep. A hundred directed by Anton Fuqua. $120 million for an Anton Fuqua movie? Come on. I, I'm sure Olympus like, is fallen and re-emancipation. Oh boy. Like, I just I I don't get it. Like, I sure, huge star. Um I just I can't imagine how this would be worth it. I know Apple has so much money that it literally doesn't matter. Like $120 million to them is literally like $10 to us. It's pocket (laughs) change. Yeah, it really is. So even though it sounds obscene and that they would never make that money back by having that on Apple TV plus, because you got to think Apple TV plus costs what per month, $10 a month. 
Yeah. Something like that. So like how many additional subscriptions outside of the people who already have Apple TV plus do you need to get just to make this one movie worth it? And it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, I'm not saying I'm not interested in it, but like I just $120 to pick up that movie, I think is crazy. Um, $120. Oh, sorry. Did I say $120? I could buy it for $120. That would be amazing. That would be incredible. That would be a good deal, but $120 million, maybe not so much. Um, (laughs) Guys, we spent $120 on a Smith movie. Oh, man. Um, I don't know. So, um, I, I mean, good on Apple. Like they're going to throw their money around, I guess, to try and get, they'll, they'll do this a lot. I think with movies from big name stars or, or like a Will Smith and a Tom Hanks, um, where they will just ridiculously outbid people just because it doesn't really matter to them. Um, even if they won't make their money back, you know, just even on this one film, they're in the long you know, the long game. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like to me, am I going to keep my Apple TV subscription once it cancels after my year free trial? I don't know. Probably not. You don't have to anymore. I know. I know, know, Eric, but like, I don't want to come from that angle either because like, I know we don't have to, in a lot of these cases, like I could cancel all my streaming services if I wanted to, and then just watch screeners or whatever. But, um, I, I still like to support the places that I, you know, that I, and I do watch more than just, you know, the screeners were given on a lot of these things, but, um, I don't know. I don't think Apple TV is doing enough to keep my money after the year that I get for free, but, um, I, I don't think this would be it, but, um, $120 million. Wow. Yeah, no, Netflix, I mean, Netflix was the same way when it first started, where it was like, it, I mean, it was the, it was the new thing. So maybe it had that going for it as a gimmick at that point, or novelty when it was the first streamer. But when it had House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, that was kind of like its selling point with Apple and its launch. I mean, it launched at a time when other streamers were starting. So you had you know, Disney plus and, you know, even smaller niche companies like Criterion channel. And now more recently, HBO max all competing with Netflix and trying to find like, okay, what is the thing that we can sort of define our, our, you know, our service with our platform with. And to me, like I look at Apple's, you know, catalog at the moment and everything almost feels or looks like a failed attempt with the the exception of the beastie boys doc but that's not really something i would say like okay well apple was you know putting all their bets on you know the spike jones documentary to be something that would kind of be a highlight on their their you know their reel that was more just like a power buy that we could you know pick this up and you're right like we're gonna see Apple probably be a major competitor and contender um, when it comes to buying stuff, not only, um, you know, in markets, but also during festivals. Like I could see Apple coming in during TIFF and Telluride and Venice this year and saying, you know what, we're going to buy five of these movies because they can. And it means nothing to them because they, they don't have to worry about money. It's just like, okay, well, it's just more product for us. But in terms of defining, like they don't have 
a, a, a Sopranos or a Game of Thrones or something that's like, I need to buy Apple because of this. Apple yeah. TV Plus because of this. So I just did a little bit of research while we're sitting here. So Apple has $192.8 billion on hand. That's just billion dollars, $192 uh, billion just sitting there for them to use on, on whatever they want. So $120 million, really nothing, pennies to them. Yeah. Um, so like you said, I could see them coming in hot on a lot of festivals and just over bidding because they they were around last tiff right like last festival season but they were just getting started right yeah they bought Hala. they bought um the elephant queen they they were starting in documentaries specifically and then they were expanding to television and i think their biggest show right now is probably the morning show um but other than that yeah they they don't really they weren't as big of an entity on the on the the festival circuit, but I think with this year, they probably will be, and they can be, and their main competition will be other streaming services like Netflix and Amazon. Um, and even, but even more so. And for Fox Searchlight, right? Cause now Fox Searchlight's got that yeah. Disney money. So I think those are going to be the heavy hitters in a lot of the acquisitions when it comes out of the festivals. But I mean, even Disney doesn't have Apple money. Like, um, like there were rumors that Apple would buy Disney because they have so much money, right? And I could see something, I don't know if it would be Disney, but I could see Apple being a player in one of these studio acquisitions eventually, like if another studio goes for sale, whether it's, you know, Sony's uh, you know, I think there were rumors at one point that Sony was looking to maybe get out of movies and focus on other things and and stuff like that, but um it would be fascinating to see something because they just have so much money that you'd think Apple would buy another company at some point because they just have all this money sitting around. Well, they are working with A24 as well, right? Yeah. Like they made that deal with them, uh, their, their first movie. I mean, I don't know if it is still coming out this year or maybe it will, um, is the the Sofia Coppola uh, reunion with Bill Murray on The Rocks where like that that is the one thing that would probably entice someone – like me or, or, or people in the kind of like the indie crowd to maybe invest in it because it's like if that's the only way you can watch it, unless you see it theatrically, which you can't do right now, that is going to be of interest to anybody that loved lost in translation or is a fan of Coppola or Bill Murray. So they have their pocket there. And then with the indie crowd, it's like, Oh, well this is, you know, in collaboration or, you know, in partnership with, uh, a 24, a company that has gained a lot of respect and, and momentum throughout, um, you know, film Twitter and movie people in general. Yeah. We'll see. I have no idea, but they have a hell of a lot of money to spend on stuff like this. Uh, mentioned Beavis and Butthead. And then the last piece of news we have, which just broke right before the show, um, there is going to be a The Batman spinoff from Matt Reeves. Um, well, he probably is producing it. I got to get the actual Hollywood Reporter article. Um, the Batman TV spinoff from Matt Reeves and Terrence Winter is set at HBO Max. This is from Heat Vision. So the untitled police drama will be set in the same universe as the forthcoming feature film starring Robert Pattinson. Uh, Terrence Winter, um, you might know him as the creator of Boardwalk Empire, as well as he worked on The Sopranos. 
Um, so he will be doing this show for HBO Max. Um, this is interesting because I thought like cop shows was one of those things that we were kind of, you know, going after everything that happened this year going, yeah, maybe let's like put a pause on cop shows right now. And then the first thing you get, I'm sure this deal was probably, you know, done before, you know, the riots and everything, or maybe it was, you know, being worked on before then, but seems like an interesting thing to be a a spinoff from Batman focusing on the, you know, I know the GCPD, they've had a a great comic book series and um, are a huge part of, you know, the Batman universe. But I hope if they are going to do this, then maybe it does touch on some of the things that have been, you know, in the spotlight um, in society this year. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think you can uh, without touching on what is currently happening. And I I think that they will. I think it, 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 I mean, there's always been, a kind of internal struggle with corruption with the police in Gotham and in those storylines. So I think it is ripe to tell those and the right time to do it if they're going to proceed with the series. And it is also interesting just from a point of view of looking at this as uh, you know, a spinoff to a major tentpole that's, you know, still in production and on its way because HBO Max is also doing the uh, Dune uh, series as well. So they're really putting their weight into, you know, the shared universes that, you know, a, a movie like the dark tower was trying to do. So it'll be interesting to see if, if both of these shows are able to coexist with, you know, their, their film counterparts and be the bridge between, movies because obviously we'll probably get a trilogy with Matt Reeves's Batman movies and a, a second half with Dune so I, I wonder how long uh, those shows will go on for and who they'll bring on and things like that um, and again I mean we were already talking about Harley Quinn like I feel like that version of Jim Gordon is 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 perfect um, comedically speaking where I can see this version being obviously much more serious and and and, and dour but I wonder if that's going to be something that'll interest people right now, as you already mentioned with, you know, um, black lives matter and defunding the police. Like it feels like it's something that maybe is, is, you know, coming at a time that might not work, but then again, it could also work to its advantage. Yeah. If it involves some of those themes, which you mentioned are heavily prevalent in the, you know, Gotham city police department anyway, and I guess real police departments, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see, I'm, I'm super excited for Matt Reeves, Batman movies. I I've been wanting to go back and watch the planet of the apes, uh, trilogy, the most recent one, cause they are underrated, I think. And I don't think enough people talk about them as being, you know, one of the best, you know, modern, blockbuster trilogies that we've gotten in recent memory so um he's a great director and i'm excited for that movie so um i will definitely check this out uh all right just about two hours on the dot you know a short breezy episode this week um thank you all for listening uh eric and i really really appreciate it uh if you like this nonsense we have another podcast called untitled movie reviews um, where Eric and I get together and review a new release film on a very regular basis. So we have reviews out right now for Greyhound, uh, Palm Springs, our 100th episode, which is The Old Guard. Um, we also have reviews from stuff over the last couple of weeks, like Eurovision, uh, The Last of Us Part Two, 
uh, Irresistible, 7500, The King of Staten Island, The Five Bloods, Artemis Fowl. If it's uh, a big release that's coming to your televisions through some sort of streaming service or rental service, Eric and I will probably review it. Um, so uh, keep it locked on that for all the, our new reviews. Um, I think that's all I have to plug right now. Um, if you guys have a few spare moments, we'd really oh, no, appreciate No, no, there is one more thing. You oh. should mention uh, uh, this, uh, this time with. Oh, right. Um, I also did a Last of Us Part 2 spoiler cast uh, with our friends at The Movie Podcast. Um, so please go check that out. Um, just search for The Movie Podcast on any podcast service of your choice. Um, and yeah, I had a really great two plus hour conversation um, uh, with my uh, my buddy Nate as well uh, as the boys from um, The Movie Podcast. And uh, we dove deep into all of the spoilers of the last of us part two. Um, and it was a really, really awesome conversation with those guys. So, and they're great dudes. You should just check out their podcast in general. So, uh, go check out the movie podcast, uh, very similar to our name. So when you're searching untitled movie podcast, it probably pops up anyway. So go subscribe to them too, and listen to that episode. Um, if you guys have a spare moment, uh, please go rate us on your podcast service of choice. We'd really appreciate that. A five star, um, review or whatever the max review is really helps us, you know, get onto some charts and, and get our podcast in front of some more ears. Um, and you can also follow us at untitled underscore cast, um, on all social media. Eric does a great job of letting you know when there's new episodes and new reviews and things like that. Um, but as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com. And you can follow me on all of those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. I'm usually bumming around Twitter and Letterboxd. And I'm Eric March, and you can find more of my reviews at rogerstv.com slash cinemascene. And on the social medias at EM6211, specifically Twitter and uh instagram and a little bit of letterbox we're uh we're keeping it real keeping it clean i don't know where this is going but uh watch money play this weekend until next time get on the money plane <laughs>